Do you like retro video games? Then you should check out the Nerd Cave Retro on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can find podcasts. If you like the show, then you can join the Discord by going to the Nerd Cave Retro Twitter page and click the link at the top of the page. If you like the Open Micers podcast, but you think I'm too handsome, check out the Jester's Court podcast hosted by my fat twin, Mr. Mike Evelyn found wherever podcasts are given away for free. Dead Game is the new podcast where award-winning comedy writer Wally Phelps and award-seeing comedy sidekick Carlos Longoria (laughs) use their powers of necromancy to resurrect failing or long-suffering game franchises. From Fortnite to Rock Band, D&D to Double Dragon, listen to Dead Game, where games go to get good. We also want to shout out our other patrons, Mr. Derek Diamond and old Rob himself, Mr. Robbie Hennig. Time for the Open Micers podcast. My name is Jason Robbins. I'm Jacob Craig. And guys, listen. I want you guys to listen, okay? <laughs> guys, I'm fucking. Hold on. <laughs> guys, I'm fucking yoked about this podcast right now, guys. <laughs> I'm fucking beyond excited about this podcast because we have a legit fucking New York comedian in this place. We have a comedian so legit. He has a fucking bomb-ass special on YouTube. He's a regular at the Comedy Cellar. He is one of... Look, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, okay? Okay? And, I, and I'd never say this to his face. He's, he's, he, I feel like he's one of the funniest people in New York right now. And if you don't know him, you should know him. Because he shouldn't be on this podcast. He should be on way better podcasts than this one. And I would never tell him that to his fucking face. I would never tell him that, but I'll tell you guys because you're dedicated listeners to this podcast. It's the one and only Matt Ruby. How you doing tonight, man? Oh man, what an intro! Chat GPT is really doing a great job writing intros now. I gotta say, yeah, that was all just AI driven. I admit none of it. I appreciate it. No, those are kind words. Thank you for having me, fellas. Good to be here. What's crazy is I'm looking at the video right now, and we look almost exactly the same. I know it's scary. <laughs> We're <That's> like <laughs> such an insult to Matt Ruby. I know. I need a I need a Pac-Man uh, sign behind me just yeah. to uh, really fit in. Dude, Jason saying that you guys look just remotely similar means you need to just stop whatever you're doing right now and do the opposite. Well, it, you know, I kind of get it. Like, I think all bald middle-aged white dudes look alike too. I mean, like we we just got a thing. Like so. Sometimes I'm I'm just walking around my apartment. I look in the mirror. I'm like, oh my god, who's that narc here? You know? <laughs> yeah. Fucking Dollar General Jason Statham broke into my apartment. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> so tell us but, about uh, what is the uh, the first thing I want to know is what's the uh what's the comedy scene in New York like now after the pandemic and everything? Is it kicking? Is it pumping? Yeah, it's doing great. Uh, you know, a lot of tourists are back in town recently, so that's been helpful. But yeah, I mean, we we had a rough, you know, year or so. And then I think we were one of the first things to come back, though. I think, you know, like Broadway and some of the other stuff, offices, like they're still like kind of piecing it all together. But comedy was kind of uh, first man up, but like back on the front lines doing shows, people wanting to see shows. 
I think also we have like, you know, younger audiences than Broadway. So, you know, yeah. pandemic stuff and masking was less of an issue. Uh, but no, I'd say it's full throttle. I think it's like a really good time for comedy right now. Yeah. I feel like there's not a way that you can really stop comedy in New York because there's so many different places to do comedy that you could just keep it a secret and just be like, hey, man, we're doing a show down here. You want to come, come laugh? I mean, quick? yeah, we, we were doing parks and rooftops and all kinds of strange things. You know, you just got comedians need to get up on stage somewhere. So we, we yeah, man, make drive it in theaters. Yeah, that was not ideal, but you know, whatever. We are all not nothing was ideal during pandemic. So uh, you know, you, you made it work for a while, but definitely yeah. good to be back in a room with actual people. Dude, I'm surprised more of you guys didn't come down to the south during the pandemic. Because we were fucking wide open, like single mom on Valentine's Day, just begging for it, dude. We I think were, a lot of people wide open. A lot of people did. There's definitely like a, you know, a flux of people going to, you know, Austin and Miami and, and touring around. But you know, mm. something it's tough it's tough for everyone to go on the road to the exact same places at the same time. So, you know, I think True. there's some some amount of bottlenecking that was bound to happen. And you know, some people were more paranoid about pandemic than others. So, you know, everyone everyone had to follow their own path, I guess. Let me tell you, all y'all skipped Mississippi. <laughs> we didn't get none of y'all to come to this motherfucker. <laughs> we we were doing shows like we we didn't shut down. We shut down for like a week. And then after a week, we were like, wait, this is fake news media. We can just fucking do comedy <laughs> shows. But no one was coming down here. So we were selling out. Like I produced a roast battle that reached like a capacity to where we were scared the fire department was going to come by because there's just so many fucking people that want to come see a show because no one's doing anything. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's like a different psyche too. It's also like when you talk to the New Yorkers, you got to remember like we were the first to get hit and no one knew mm. what was happening and it was crazy. And there was hospitals like with refrigerator trucks parked outside to keep all the dead bodies in there. And like, everyone here is on top of each other. So it just bred like a whole different mentality around it that I think for a lot of people, it took them a while to like get out of that like mindset. Mm -hmm. But also I think, you know, you could make an argument is pretty good reasoning when you're like, you know, uh, at, at the, at the epicenter of like, you know, all these people dying and, and everything going sideways. So I think in retrospect, yeah, I feel like we probably could have done a lot more, but at the time, no, no one knew what the hell they were doing. So yeah, I yeah. guess I guess New York just needs to be more like Mississippi is the real lesson here. <laughs> don't. Oh do that. yeah, dude. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> if only we were as open-minded and tolerant. Yeah. As people in Mississippi, you we, know, could, we could we could be on the vanguard, on the cutting edge. That is what society. we are known for: is all the open-mindedness here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Dude, I, I wanted to talk to you about that actually. So I was. Um, listening to the newest episode of we might be drunk who is is hosted by friends of yours uh they were talking to nimish patel this week about like the hot bar shows that used to be in new york mm -hmm. so i'm curious about like the difference between bar shows in new york and literally the rest of the entire country because <laughs> bar shows are usually the worst you can do but it seems like in new york you have some pretty banging bar shows yeah, I mean, like, there's plenty of bad ones, too. There's definitely some good ones. Yeah, him and Michael Che used to have a cool show in Greenpoint that they did. And even that, though, would be, you know what it is? I think in New York, when you do a bar show, it's a show exclusively, almost always, for people who actually live in New York. Whereas when you're doing mm -hmm. clubs, it could be a lot of tourists and stuff. So it's 
sometimes it can be fun to do a show where it's like everyone's like a New Yorker and you all, you know, are kind of on the same wavelength that way. But also those crowds can be pretty tough. A lot of those bar shows, it's not necessarily like a hot room. It's uh, you got to you got to work for your laughs. And, uh, you know, sometimes the audience is like, yeah, we're, we're cool and smart and we're artists. We could, we could do what you're doing, you know, just so there's a lot of like uh, that don't impress me much uh, attitude, if I can quote Shania. Um, but yeah, I think I think the ideal is like to be doing a mixture of like bar shows, uh, clubs in the city, uh, getting on the road and kind of playing different rooms and for different types of people. And then if you've got a joke that works in all those settings, then you know you're really up to something. Yeah, for sure. I almost think it's important to do bar shows like that or or maybe even clubs in smaller markets where like you're not guaranteed to do well even with jokes that are guaranteed to do well. Yeah, I think it's like a little bit of like a knife fight mentality. Like Bill Burr's talked eloquently about like doing crappy rooms and how it made him figure out, you know, how to get an audience and grab them and keep them. And I think there's definitely value in a tough room. Uh, it can be annoying if you're just in like some impossible room, you know, where like people want to watch the game and you turn the TVs off on them and then like, why are you doing this to me? Like that's, <laughs> That can be a, a rough a rough ride. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, any show like I think there's just sort of like this Maslow's hierarchy of comedy where it's like at the very least you need like a microphone that works and people need to be paying attention and like some sort of like base level of like we know how to run a room and run a show and the people are paying attention. And then for, for, as long as you got that, I'm happy to kind of do any show anywhere. And then I, I think it's kind of like a good exercise. But yeah, some every once in a while you wind up just doing a room where you're like, well, no one is ever going to do well here because you guys don't know how to produce a comedy show. Yeah, we run across that yeah. a lot down here. Yeah. Oh, dude, I've run across that at my own comedy shows that I've produced. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to, you need a microphone for this, dude? What the fuck? Yeah, that, that's how you learn sometimes. Like, oh, pinball machines right outside the comedy show isn't a great idea. Now I know. So what's your strategy when you come along, uh, when you come across a, a pretty tough bar crowd where they're just not paying attention to you? Do you just kind of put your head down and get through the set? Or do you, do you try to, to get them to pay attention to you? Like, what's your strategy? Yeah, I mean, like, ideally, for me anyway, it's like I like to be able to do material and like jokes that I have and have that work. If it's like that's not landing and it's not working, then you got to switch to plan B, which is like just sort of be in the room in the moment and talk to people, maybe do crowd work, maybe comment on how the show sucks. If there's a table that's being annoying or in some way, you know, just kind of like explain why they're being annoying. And obviously you're trying to make all this funny, but like you can't you can't get to funny and you actually have everyone like in unison paying attention and locked in so if you don't even have that then that's kind of like your first goal and then from there you can kind of try to build towards funny yeah dude all the bar shows around here too it's like the the people that come to some of these shows just have the most audacity i remember i was producing a show one time and uh jason i don't know if you remember this or not it was at the love shack which is just the one of the worst fucking venues i've ever actually been to i found my entire it life. to be some of the best sets i ever had was that, that of course place? you would because you're horrible at comedy but anyways <laughs> back to my story um <laughs> no i was i was opening the show so like the first you know five ten minutes of the show and i had shut everything off shut everything down and i had positioned the stage to where it's in the path of the dartboard so that no one can play darts hmm. and then someone decides to just come 
play darts <laughs> while I'm in the path of the dartboard doing comedy. <laughs> I was not there for this. Quizzing darts in front of my fucking face. And, like, what do you even do in that moment? Like, I had to just move the sound equipment. Because I can't stop this guy from playing darts. He'll kill me with darts. You know, it's tough when your heckler has a weapon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I need to start bringing darts on stage with me to chuck out in the fucking audience when they're not paying attention. Yeah, whatever weapon they have, you need to bring one of your own up on stage, I guess. Uh, <laughs> right. Your tarts are no match for my Kung Fu. <laughs> but uh, you've you produced quite a few shows as well. Is that correct? Don't you don't you produce a show at the uh, Comedy Cellar? I do. Yeah, it's called Hot Soup, a uh, long running independently produced comedy show in New York City that uh, I've I do along with uh, Gary Veter and Mark Norman, two other great comics. Uh, and yeah, we've been uh, we've been doing it for a long time. So I'm curious to know what goes into producing a show that not only is like a well thought out, like good kind of topic for a show, because I feel like every show has its own gimmick or whatever. But to a point where it's good enough to be at like the best comedy club in the world. I mean, this has to be like a, a honed down to a science comedy show. Well, I'd say first thing, having good comics produce it and booking good comics on the lineup like is the essential thing. Uh, also, we've done the show for like over like 15, 12 years, 15 years, something like that. So I think we just had, you know, a long runtime of uh, building up an audience and a reputation. Um, and yeah, I don't know that I necessarily agree that like, I know a lot of shows do have themes, but like in general, mm-hmm. I feel like uh, every good stand up comedian is coming to the stage with their own theme. And so when you try to put them in some other box or give them an assignment, like you got to write, you know, 10 minutes about, you know, car washes, and then we're all going to have the car wash show. It's like, okay, or I could just do material that's actually good that I've been honing and, and, you know, working on for months, that will probably be better for the actual audience. I feel like there's a lot of shows that are, they're sort of like um, created to be good on social media or good on the flyer or something like that, mm. but it's actually uh, a disservice to the people who actually show up. They would have gotten a better show uh, if it had just been like a quote-unquote regular stand-up show with good comedians booked on it. But overall, I'd say the biggest thing is having good lineups and funny people and putting on a killer show that makes people want to come back over and over again. Um, so I, I'd say that's that's been the key to our success. Very good point. Uh, so we have a show here, and this kind of uh, segues into your newest special. We have a, a show out of Lafayette, Louisiana, called "Stone versus Drunk versus Sober," which yeah, someone, is like someone sent me a flyer about that. <laughs> yeah, dude, I've I've done that show. It's insane. It's it's one of the I feel like best show gimmicks without being a gimmick that there can be. I mean, I feel like it's really one of the best shows in the country, with the caveat being that. Sober always, almost always wins, ironically. Yeah, I hear you. Which is really weird. And I know that you found that out in <laughs> this special, that sober most of the time wins, even though drunk is way more fun and stoned is way more cool. Sober, <laughs> you don't stand a chance against it. 
Yeah, comedy, it helps to have all your senses working properly. Comedy is very hard. And when you start doing it when you're impaired, it can be a little bit like uh, trying to run a race with, you know, one hand tied behind your back or something. So, um, yeah, I mean, for your listeners who don't know, I have a new special out. Uh, it's called Matt Ruby's Substance. And in it, I uh, perform four sets, uh, one high on weed, one drunk, one tripping on shrooms and one sober. Uh, and there's documentary footage leading up to each day's set. And yeah, through this, you know, stand-up special slash documentary slash experiment, you get a good window into each one of those substances and what they kind of do to you as a performer and a human being. And yeah, I think for sure, I think, you know, people ask me, you know, which set did you was the best? And I think my favorite one was probably shrooms, but I think the best one was sober and alcohol was definitely the worst. Um, and I'm happy that in retrospect that sober was the best one because it would be it would really suck to then be going on stage sober every night and be like, oh, I'm not giving them my best. If I, mm-hmm. if I really cared about doing the best set possible, I would just get insanely drunk right now. And it's nice to know that, like, no, 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 if you the best, you're the best at doing this when you're actually have all your wits about you. So, um, but yeah, it, was, it definitely was like a, a fascinating process. We didn't really know what we were making until we were, you know, kind of done making it. But yeah, it came out together great. And uh, yeah, getting good feedback and excited to have it out in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's an extremely good special, especially in a time now where not only is everything free on YouTube, but there's so much content out there that this is good and so different enough that if you pitch this to your friends, they'll be like, of course, I want to watch someone do that. I mean, no, I don't think any other comedians really done that and filmed it before. Yeah, I think it was I was to me, it was like, oh, this will be a fun idea. I didn't quite realize like it would be such a compelling hook to so many people because like people are really like, oh man, that's such a cool idea. And like, I think to me, it it didn't occur to me that it was like some wild thing to do because like I had a friend of mine who, what I told the concept to is like, well, yeah, that makes sense. You kind of have your 10,000 hours in every one of these things, which is true. <laughs> like I've, I've been uh, eating edibles and taking shrooms and drinking and doing stand up all for a very long amount of time. And, you know, it's like, to me, it's not uh, some crazy, wild, necessarily thing to do. Although I hadn't ever performed that high or that drunk or Mm -hmm. really at all on shrooms before. So I think that was sort of me. And also feeling like if I was going to film the special and do it, I really had to go for it. I couldn't just like have two beers or like a couple hits off a joint and be like, oh, watch me. Like, I felt like, okay, you're going to do this concept. You really have to like be that thing and so that's that's uh that was my goal while doing it which was like a little bit scary but i think you know the end product you know came out great but along the way it was a little bit like wow what what the hell am i doing i'm paying to have myself filmed being bad at the thing that i really want the world to think i'm good at and be (laughs) like wait wait, what are you doing dude what's going on here so have you ever done comedy on any substances that are the four that you filmed uh good question i don't think i have i've done other substances in my life but never you know on stage what would be so what would you say is the most fun way to do crowd work out of those uh, four i you know what it, it was like i think uh 
stone stoned i've done with like not being as stoned and had a lot of fun i mean same with drinking i think i just like during the special it's so over the time i was so high and i was so drunk that then your brain starts going into a different place where you're just you start to like uh it's it, you're not in the right mindset to really be like like quick and like you know engage people it's just sort of like like i would have you know good ideas while stoned but like if it takes you like 30 seconds to figure out how to you know say a sentence it's not really all that helpful so um but i think i think having you know my ideal personally would be like maybe like a little bit of an edible and a drink and then go on stage and like kind of be vibey but still have you know control of your faculties and stuff and mm -hmm. you know part of like i said part of the special is like and i think for this you really have to go for it so i was kind of uh in the red or whatever the uh driving analogy mm -hmm. is where it's like okay this might not be the best way to run this engine yeah i think every comic has their perfect like recipe for you know they're getting their mindset right before going on stage whether it's like i need two beers and a shot or i need a, you know an exact amount most of the open micers around here it's it's crystal meth they just do a lot of crystal <laughs> meth and then try to do stand-up comedy and then it gets real horny real fast they're just just trying to get me tooed on stage yeah you just have teeth falling out and during the opener yeah it's gotta be rough so what oh, are the, dude, uh, meth makes you so horny, man. <laughs> you wouldn't know because you come from the meth capital, Mississippi, where you live. I do, and the person I'm talking about is also from here. So, <laughs> so what are the open mics like in New York right now? Is it is it a bunch of new people trying stuff <clears throat> now, or is it sort of the same people coming back? Or has all those jerk offs moved to Austin already? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't attend a lot of open mics. You know. I've thankfully uh graduated you know past that although I, you know i did them for years um but yeah i think there's like a, a you know and i'm a constant scene bubbling up probably the thing that's changed the most since when i started and was doing open mics is how much like social media um has shifted the game and people can you know post clips and you know people are able to build a following just through doing sketches or whatever else so um I don't I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder how much are people kind of using that in a way that they used to use open mics to try to figure out your voice and what works and what doesn't. Um, but I can't say for sure. I, I, you know, I haven't been to a lot of open mics, but in New York in general, open mics are soul sucking, uh, painful. There is no regular audience members. Everyone else there is just another comedian wanting stage time. And I'd say you'll have two people who are actually good uh 10 people who just want to like hang out and get out of the house and then five other people who are mentally ill <laughs> and that's usually uh the equation of open mics in new york city so i think uh in the beginning you gotta kind of do it just to do it but like eventually if you can get in front of uh, real audience members you're gonna learn a lot more than just doing an open mic yeah i feel like five's a really low number yeah i mean also, i feel like <laughs> it depends on the room it depends on the room like uh, uh mentally ill people love a microphone that's one thing comedy teaches you i will say that 100 percent of the comics i know are either like the most brilliant salt of the earth people you could ever meet or just like the most diluted conceited like mentally ill individual that you've ever met in your entire life <laughs> yeah and it's usually like I've been fortunate enough to get to perform, you know, at places where I'm around, you know, 
you know, uh, su uh, successful comedians. And I will say when you get to the higher tiers of the profession, it's much more people who are like professionals and are treating it the same way, like an athlete treats preparing for the playoffs or something like that. And I think there's this sort of like uh, delusional slash romantic notion that aspiring comedians or wannabe comedians have that like, oh, comedians are all fucked up and, you know, you know, we're wild and this and that. It's like, yeah, but like at the end of the day, like you need to get the job done. You need to turn over material. Nowadays, you need to be like your own social media expert and, you know, a bunch of other things. So this idea that you're just going to be some some total screw up and be a successful comedian, I, that's not it's not what I wind up seeing mostly. Yeah. How do you feel about that, by the way? Like, what's the right amount to sell out to get your shit seen? I mean, it, everyone's got their own personal dial to dial in of uh, what are you, are you wanting commercial success? Are you wanting fame? Are you trying to make art? Are you just trying to uh, produce stuff you're proud of? You know, I think uh, everyone's everyone's I mean, I guess the idea would be like massive amount of fame. And also you're making, you know, exactly what you want to make. But sometimes it does feel like there's a trade off. So I think uh, trying to figure out what your priorities are is probably uh, the first you know step to figuring that out so what's what's sense. your uh, uh what's your goal like are you looking for the the massive fame i mean I, if i'm being honest with myself i don't know if i'm destined for like some you know huge mainstream success in a way that like what i'm uh i'm trying to make i think i'm uh making stuff that is a little bit more intricate or complex or brainy or like kind of, you know, uh, I, I like making stuff for, for people like me. And I don't like, I, I guess I'll put it this way. I think, uh, another comedian was telling me once about like, it's sort of like, imagine you're a chef. Like, what do you, what do you want? You want to be Arby's? You want to make fast food for everyone? Or are you trying to be like uh, a Michelin star restaurant that's making, you know, sort of like a, uh, cuisine that's really special for the people in the room, but maybe you're not going to franchise that and be everywhere. And I, I'd say on that spectrum, I'm probably like a little bit more on the, uh, you know, uh, trying to, trying to make something that's, uh, I don't know, uh, Michelin star is pretty highfalutin, but like, I'm trying to make something quality. And like, I don't know that my, who I am is, you know, going to be like, you know, Maniscalco or something like that. But if I can have a nice, like little niche, uh, career with an audience that gets it and likes it and you know keeps coming back for more and and uh and i'm able to make stuff that i'm proud of and you know sell tickets and keep doing what i'm doing then for me that's that's enough oh yeah dude i'm trying to be like a waffle house with my comedy there you go like, <laughs> you just never know what you're gonna fucking see when you go to waffle house yeah, you just need a, a bunch of people fighting outside every one of your shows hey that, <laughs> let me tell you close matt the people the fight inside at my shows i was gonna say you, you got the meth heads there already so i feel like you're halfway to being the waffle house of comedy matt i've been attacked three times doing comedy like but in rapid succession very close how, to each other how many times have you been attacked not doing comedy though we need a control group here almost zero almost zero <laughs> i mean All i say right. almost because i i don't you know because i don't ever like you know talk shit to people often and of these three times that this has happened i've i was only talking shit one time the other two times people just wanted to fist fight me because they didn't like my jokes all right, that's good motivation to uh, write some new jokes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. 
I'm really bad at comedy. Anyways. <laughs> we got to tell you guys about B-Res Coffee Company. That's right. B-Res Coffee is a small business established here on the Gulf Coast that was created for gamers by game. Whatever kind of coffee you like, they got you covered. Like the out-of-this-world chocolate and caramel flavored roast. Or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate flavored roast. You can even get your very own Open Micers Roast of Coffee. So if you like us, you'll like this dark roast too. So head over to brezcoffeeco.com and use our code OMPODCAST for 10% off of your order. Matt, what uh, what age did you lose your hair? Oh, it's the first time I've been asked this question. I mean, it's uh, I, I don't mean to break news to you, but it was actually like a slow process. So it, it happened over a span of years. Uh, I'd say probably about... 10 years ago, it started to go and I held on to it, you know, off and on for another five. And then about five years ago, I think I went for the uh, shaved head chrome dome. That was going to be my next question was, when did you let it go? Because I feel like there's in every bald person's life, there's the age they start losing it and the age they let it go because they understand it looks better. Yeah, well, I mean, I started off taking that Propecia stuff, and then I was, like, reading the side effects, and one of the side effects is, like, difficulty sustaining an erection, and at that point, I was like, well, what am I, why am I, I'm taking this in order to attract women just so I can disappoint them? This doesn't feel like a very effective strategy of, you know, you know what am I doing here? So I figured, all right, maybe I'll just uh, keep the erection and lose the hair. Maybe it would be the better path here. I mean, Which, I, I, I mean, I guess that's the shaved head motto, really. I know the feeling, you know, I mean, I, I started going bald when I was 19. I started to oh, see no. signs. See, I, I had a good run. I had a good couple of decades. I had, you know, shaggy hair. I was in a rock and roll band, so, which in some way I think maybe makes it even harder because, you know, it's it's like, you know, you don't even know what you're missing. I had I had this attachment to uh, almost like it was my identity. So it, it's interesting now to be like oh yeah i'm a bald guy and be like okay fine i guess but like remember the good old days (laughs) oh i know i'm a drummer i used to have hair almost down to my ass and then it just started to go and by the time i think i was 24 when i first started shaving my head because i just said fuck it (laughs) i don't want to be that guy with the uh you know the captain picard ring around it's better to get out out ahead (laughs) in front of it i hear you but you know, also at least we're this is like a short hair, short haired era. Like, how much would it suck to like in the sixties be going bald and every single person around you has like the shoulder length hair? You're gonna be like, oh, I'm 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 hip, but like I can't do that. <laughs> it actually was the sixties when Jason went bald. Shut up. Oh wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's oh, the it thing is, is, is like a bald head. Head is not not not. It doesn't turn heads like it used to, like, you know, back in the seventies or, you know, I, I imagine back in the sixties and seventies, you see a guy, you know, walking around with a bald head. It's like that dude killed someone, you know, like, yeah, I've, you know, I've kind of embraced the, oh yeah, I look like some like uh Russian nuclear arms dealer, or like uh, a Serbian nightclub owner or something like that. It's like, sure. All right. At least, at least it's a look of some sort. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I, I would definitely cast you as like John Malkovich's body double or something like that. All right. Yeah, we just got to stay away from the track suits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ralphie yeah, KGB. Right. That's what you can call me. Oh, man. Uh, Matt, do you, have, uh, do you have any kids at all? 
I don't. How did you stay away from that for so long? Well, uh, I think within a long-term relationship, uh, I am subtly inattentive until the point where the person who's in love with me eventually decides they don't want to sustain the relationship any longer. And then at that point, uh, having kids is off the table, and then you get to start the whole process over again. Are you sure we're not brothers? (laughs) (laughs) Anything's possible. I mean, I think I know the answer, but, you know, these days. Because I'm relating to an ancestry test or something. (laughs) I'm relating to a lot of stuff you're talking about this episode. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, having kids would, would be, uh, I think, a fascinating experience. I'm not opposed to it. It just hasn't quite happened yet. Oh, yeah, man. I'd had one by accident. Yeah. How's it That's going? usually how it happens, I feel like, in comedy. Most comedians have kids just like, ah, shit. Well, yeah, also, you're in Mississippi, so I feel like that's how most of Mississippi has kids. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, we're, we're already in the house together being brother and sister. It's only a matter, a matter of time before <laughs> something happens. Like, one of us has got to make a move. Something yeah, in the water not, down here makes it like you, Yeah, you don't plan to have a kid with your sister. It just happens, you know? Something in the water down here, man, makes people super fertile. I think it's meth. I think we found out, it's right? It's yeah. meth. Yeah. <laughs> meth is a horny drug, bro. <laughs> I'm learning a lot from this podcast. You didn't know that about meth? No, I don't. I don't really know. Most of what I know about meth is like your teeth fall out and you you start, uh, you know, tweaking and stuff like that. But I, I haven't had a lot of personal experience with meth heads in my life. Other than there, uh, so, my mom had a home health care worker who stole things from our house in order to fund their meth habit. But uh, I can't oh, say wow. that I knew that person well. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there are a couple of comics around here who... Like there's a lot of them are strung out on coke, but I feel like there's a lot of comedians everywhere. But there's just a couple of specific comics who you know are on meth because they can only do three minutes of comedy at most because they're just all over the place going fucking a, a thousand miles a minute, and it always ends with them just being like super creepy with any of the females that are in the audience mm. just trying to fuck while they're on wow. stage, just being like, "Hey, you like this? You like all this?" Well, yeah, I didn't know meth made you so horny. Maybe I'm on meth, and I just don't know it. Huh. You're making me Dude, rethink everything. Because that's, 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 your next that's half my stuff. act that you just described. I'm like, oh, maybe. That's why I keep getting in so many fights. At I, I thought I had a unique voice that I was bringing to the stage, but all this time it's just been the meth. All right, good to know. That should be your next special is meth versus crack versus heroin versus, you know. <laughs> I mean, people have thrown out suggestions. I tell like, because uh, people are like, oh, you should done cocaine. Like, I tried to only do substances that I actually would endorse others to do. And so right. that narrowed the field down somewhat. Because um, I didn't want to just be doing shit that I'm like, I, I don't want to do this. I don't do this. And I don't want anyone else to do this. I didn't want to be like uh, glamorizing stuff in that way. See, the next one you could do, uh, you, you don't have to go so hard. I mean, you could do like uh, NyQuil, uh, CBD uh, gummies. <laughs> And uh, I don't know, what else could you throw in there? Um, Dude, that's just what I do to get to sleep at night. <laughs> I know, that's that's the drugs for soccer moms. We'll call yeah. it that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, 
Matt, we're we're getting close to the the end of the episode here. Um, thank you so much for being on the show again. A cornerstone of our interviewing excellence. Oh, here it comes. Really pinpoints around this one question that we've asked guests such as Jonathan Mangum from Whose Line Is It Anyway. Uh, Sean Patton has been asked this question. Uh, I think we we've asked uh, serious serious people this question, and I want a very serious answer, Matt Ruby. When was the last time you shit your pants? Mm, I knew it was coming. Um, shit my pants. Oh, boy. Uh, maybe like... Uh, I don't recall the last time I shit my pants. I did take a dump in the ocean a couple of years ago, though, because <laughs> I, I really to had to. It. And uh, I was like, there's no bathroom around, and it felt like, uh, I don't know, isn't it part of nature? I was like, I don't think it's, you know... I don't think it's going to make contact with anyone else. I don't know what else to do in this scenario. Well, here's the question about that. When you're out in the water like that and you let it go, was it just, was it, was it a, a one solid, you know, dookie or was it, <laughs> was it pretty watery? I think, uh, no, no, I think it, well, I mean, I didn't like grab it and examine it, but it felt <laughs> solid. Cause I was going to say like, you know, if it's, if, if it's like diarrhea, you're just making a, a cloud in the water that you're just floating in. Yeah, I guess it's the rare instance where I, I could say, I wish I had diarrhea, but I did not. Yeah. I I feel like, I mean, plastic straws are bad for the sea turtles. Imagine what you did to them. I think, I think shit is healthy. Whatever. We're human. We're animals. What do you think the fish and birds are doing? It just goes back no, to the planet. True. I mean, fish poop in there. Exactly. Why not me? See, because I, I, I will say... The... I'm... I'm of the the opinion that it, that normal adult humans don't regularly shit their pants like like Jacob does. Yeah, and I I'm think, of the opinion that sometimes accidents happen. Yeah, I, I feel like this might tie in with the meth conversation and the alcohol intake and like some other factors. <laughs> I think, uh, but yeah, like uh, you know, maybe maybe work on that regulation. You know, just uh, try to well, try to notice the, the... pattern the patterns. What leads to the the pants shitting and you know maybe strive to avoid that in the future well i'll give you some background matt ruby since i, w- since I wish you, you want to know actually no i mean I, that's more words of wisdom for you to carry off into into your own world view <laughs> but but the the weird part is that this has happened completely dead sober every single time well maybe you need to see a doctor <laughs> that's what i said like I think you might, Mr. Matt Ruby. I live in. You might have irritable bowel syndrome, and uh, <laughs> it's gone undiagnosed, and you've started a podcast in order to get confirmation about the ailments that you're experiencing. And this is uh, a very subconscious, subtle cry for help. And I'm here to tell you it's okay, and you should go get treatment for this. Because this was uh, not a one-time deal. This was like he shit himself like three weeks in a row. Because uh, he was hosting three weeks in a row on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, th- this is something to talk to a doctor about. Yeah, but I live in Mississippi, <laughs> Matt Ruby. I can't afford to go to the doctor. Well, can you cross state lines? Probably I mean, some, I can, but if I go like, to Alabama, it'll be worse. There's probably some abortion doctor looking for work now. You can just find one of them and just be like, hey, I know this isn't your sweet spot, but like, I figured you could use the work. I'll get, can you cut yeah, me a right. deal? 
I mean, I'm pretty sure you know they work. Get this out. They work in the stomach region. They know what's going on down there. Yeah, it's. I don't have a womb, but I do have some issues happening, and uh, there's some things. It's almost like the inverse of the normal abortion doctor job. It's like I've been letting go of some stuff, and I really want to hold on to it. So we, and I think it's because of Jacob's horrible diet, like the all the gas station Ooh. food that he eats. That um, quite so probable. we've talked to some uh, New York comedians before. What is the uh, the 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 gas station food? Uh, the slice. We get a slice pizza, pizza on every corner here, and uh, you know, three fifty to four fifty. You get a, a really decent slice of pizza here, and uh, when you're on the go, running between spots, it's a lifesaver. So they don't really too many places. Do they? Do they have the like the four day old? hot dog rollers that they have the, you know, <laughs> no, that's more your, your gas station in the South specialty. I mean, yeah. we have hot dogs, but like the New Yorkers were, uh, there's, we, we don't let food sit around for that long. We'll have a hot dog, but it's sitting in gross, disgusting, boiling water on a street <laughs> vendor's cart, you know, but no rollers. And he, here's where you're both wrong. And I've reiterated this a thousand times on the podcast. It's not the the four day old rolling hot dogs that I'm getting. I'm going to the gas stations in the South that have a complete litany and buffet of Southern fried chicken and ribs. And there's one really good Chinese food gas station where they have fucking delicious wontons and General's chicken. I had it today. Egg rolls. I really have to poop. Not related to this at all. But I mean, I'm I'm getting real food from these gas stations. Well, uh, if it keeps resulting in you shitting your pants, <laughs> I might look into the quality of the food beyond just how it tastes going into your mouth. I will refuse to always do that. I just had a friend text me, by the way, who said, tuning into your show, the first five to six seconds, you're talking about crap in your pants. What a great start. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's always nice to be invited into an environment where I can... Uh, have the kind of conversations that it you know it's tough to have anywhere else so i appreciate it and the one question and you're completely welcome and the one question i always like to ask uh comedians like, uh, like yourself is what is what is your writing process like uh, i mean i'm always either carrying a notebook or writing uh ideas down in the notes app on my phone my favorite way to come up with joke ideas is to have conversations with people who are interesting or funny or make me think about stuff or bring up uh, good things. And then when something does strike me, then I'm like, oh, there might be something there. Then to capture that, write it down, and then, you know, maybe talk it out in my apartment or, you know, kind of think of like, okay, what's the joke here? And then go on stage and try it. So I think, you know, for me, it's a lot of trial and error, obviously, but like the more the more what I'm talking about on stage can be something that I also talk about off stage with people who I like and respect and enjoy talking to. I think that's just better for your act. And I think it's something the audience can sense, whether it's subconsciously or not of like, Oh, that it's coming from some sort of like authentic place of interest or what this person actually cares about. So I think the, the more I can do that, the better off it is. And, you know, then a lot of times I'm also just throwing out stuff on social media and in, my newsletter, I got a newsletter uh, called The Rubes Letter at mattruby.substack.com. And I guess your audience would also, I got another newsletter called Funny How. That's at funnyhow.substack.com, all about the craft of stand-up. 
but I'm just sort of like throwing ideas out there all the time and just trying to get feedback on some level. And then when something's really resonant, try to bring it to the stage and keep honing it and, you know, attack it. And it's sort of like being a good hitter in baseball. I feel like even when you're killing it, you're still only, you know, 30% of the time are you yeah. actually right about stuff and the rest of the time you're striking out or, or making it out. But you're like, that's just part of the process. Cause I've had a so lot of comedians. What I heard. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Jacob. Oh, I was going to say what, so what I got out of that is that in your next special, you're going to have some really good material about shit in your pants. <laughs> yeah. F- finally a comedian who's talking about that, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of Michelin pen- star quality material. Matt Rudy. Yeah. There's a lot of pent up demand for it's a not, comedian who's talking about shit in their pants. That is not <laughs> hack material at all. Yeah. And then after that, maybe we'll get someone who's talking about masturbating. Wouldn't that be great if there was just a comedian <laughs> And then, uh, then maybe about how men and women are different. I feel like these are the, the you know, three things that comedy is just too scared to touch. <laughs> women be shopping. <laughs> I was just about to say, who else is going to let us know that the women be shopping? There you go. Because <laughs> see, uh, there's a lot of comedians out there that you know, upper level comedians that talk about you have to sit and write, you know, for like an hour or a day <clears throat> or something, you know, stuff like that. And I just don't, I can't do that like uh, if i try to sit down and force myself to write for an hour it's going to be complete garbage i just kind of wait for you know moments of 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 just getting struck by something and then writing as much mm-hmm. as i can in that moment and then hoping it and happens again garbage too yeah mostly. yeah i well i also think there's something to be said for talking out ideas and you don't necessarily need to do that on stage i think sometimes writing can be like talking into your phone or just sort of pacing around, you know, outside and just talking about a topic for like 10 minutes and, and just let your kind of your mouth get out in front of your brain a little bit. And then every once in a while, you'll be like, Oh, wait, that's actually kind of funny what just came out. And, and that can be a way to write too. I think, I think sometimes there's this romantic notion that you can just go on stage and write all your material. And I think, especially in the early stages of of doing stand up, that's, uh pretty tough uh and so like the more you can figure out some way to when you're alone be crafting and creating material the better off you're eventually going to be yeah but also i think everyone's got their own there's no one right way to do it everyone's got their own path and so it's like you know i think if if you're just if something is just not clicking for you then don't do it but like try to figure out what is the thing that does click for you and if you're getting results going that route then great That's excellent advice for anybody listening at home who's an aspiring comedian. There's probably quite a few that are. Uh, Matt Ruby, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Uh, tell everybody about where they can catch all your dates and where they can watch your uh, newest special and your previous specials. Sure. Uh, MattRubyComedy.com is my website that's got everything listed. I'm on all your uh, social media stuff at Matt Ruby Comedy. Uh, I have two stand-up specials on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash Matt Ruby. Those are also at my site. And uh, like I said, I got those newsletters, other stuff. Um, so yeah, I think MattRubyComedy.com is the the best starting point. And then uh, yeah, anyone can like reach out to me via social or send me an email if you're curious about stuff, and I'll let you know. And uh, yeah, I hope to be down uh, Louisiana later this year. Uh, it's kind of close, right? So uh, yeah, let us know when you then, are because that's very close to where we are. There you go. And uh, yeah, yeah, we'll I'm, plug I'm, it, man. I'm on the road and doing shows in New York all the time. So 
hope to see yeah. out on the road. And yeah, Substance is that new special we talked about, and I'm proud of it and think it's funny and interesting. So uh, YouTube, go there, watch Matt Ruby Substance, and then uh, it's a good intro into the world of Matt Ruby. That's me. Awesome. <laughs> right, I feel like I've, I've said my name enough times in the past <laughs> 30 seconds. <laughs> Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. And that was a pleasure having you here. Jason, Jacob, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So before we go, Jacob, what you got coming up? Dude, uh, if you guys aren't listening to Open Micro's podcast, which you wouldn't know because you're not listening to Open Micro's <laughs> podcast right now, but hey, recommend it to a friend because the guests we have coming up on this month are Brian O'Halloran from fucking Clerks, Mike Racine, a great fucking touring comic, the guys from WFU podcast who are absolutely hilarious and Abby Washuda, who is opening up for, or actually headlining on a bunch of shows with our uh, buddy, Neil Rubenstein. That's what you can expect this month on open micers podcast. So go get in our Patreon for all that uh, fun, early access and whatnot. Awesome. And I got a show coming up May 13th uh, at tracks in long beach, Mississippi. It is red radio after dark. It's going to be, comedy music and burlesque so go check out red radio after dark on facebook and go get your tickets right now on eventbrite.com and i think that's going to do it for this week let's walk out the door if you would like to email us you can email us at openmicerspodcast at gmail.com we're at openmicers.com linktree slash openmicerspodcast and of course our Patreon is patreon.com slash ompodcast. As little as a dollar a week gets you all the extra stuff that we do and early as well. So go ahead over there and we will see you guys next week. I'm about to get some good shit in my pants material. There you go. <laughs>